and welcome to The Runs, the podcast in which we talk about runs of comic books. What does that mean? I believe it means a consistent writer and or artist working on a monthly title over time. And I pick a guest and talk about uh, usually runs that are near and dear to their heart. I think it'll vary over time, but that's maybe what we're aiming for. I'm your host, Ryan Alexander Tanner. With me for the first issue, the gold foil embossed premier collector's item issue, is Alex Robinson, who hello. is... Hello. Oh, sorry. sorry, I thought you, there was a pause there. I thought I was supposed to jump in. We're getting off on the wrong foot. Let's start over again. Three, I, I blew two. it. Gosh, now it's awkward. Now I'll introduce you. Which is, uh, many people know Alex, well, you have kind of um, two walks of life, right? Alex Robinson is well known and loved as a indie comics guy. He did the series Box Office Poison in the 90s, the graphic novel Tricked, and then the graphic novel Our Expanding Universe, Mm-hmm. which um, I really enjoyed aging as your characters did along with your work. So I'll look forward to the next um, even older guy book coming up, <laughs> I'm sure. And then, like many beloved comics artists, you became a podcaster. And you're most well-known for the... You kind of invented the podcast subgenre of the minute-by-minute podcast, right? With Star Wars Minute. Yes, my uh, co-host Pete the Retailer and I do a podcast where we go through Star Wars. Each episode discusses one single minute of Star Wars, and it's just sort of the silly thing we started as a fun little goof, and uh, lo and behold, uh, I definitely am more well-known for that than I was ever known from comics. So uh, so like 50 people? Well, a lot of the people who listen to the podcast are completely unaware that I was ever a cartoonist, so wow, it's a strange, uh, it's a strange feeling. It's a strange feeling to know you're alive. Um, yeah, well, that's, I guess, second careers are like that, right? Yeah, that's true. Well, cool. And so uh, I think this podcast for me came out of just wanting to listen to a podcast like this. I like the I like interviews with comics artists. I'll have mostly comics artists and writers on here, but I think I got some comedians and uh, academics and things like that lined up. But I just like to listen to those conversations when I'm working in the studio. And then I like the idea of comics artists talking about other people's work. I thought that would be really interesting to listen to. And also, I think, honestly, part of it comes from uh, these are conversations me and you have casually anyway. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, and people are dying for this content. So uh, let's make it happen. So yours yeah. with opinions, finally. Okay. Finally, <laughs> two aging white men saying what they think about an even older white man. <laughs> so uh, so I floated this idea to you. I invited you to be the uh, first, the, the, the first, perhaps the greatest. And we floated ideas, right? And, and so you, you picked. Yes, I, uh, the first when you brought up the, uh, the topic, the first thing I thought of was uh, John Byrne's uh, run on the Fantastic Four, which 
uh, probably ran 1981 to 1986 or so, something like that. Yeah, so and as I was figuring out how this podcast works, I decided I was not going to try to do entire runs in an episode. And that's partially because I got to read this stuff and I got to ask the guests to read it. So it just gets... Yeah. And also, like, how long are these episodes going to be? So I decided there'd be like a 12-issue maximum. If it's a long run, a long uh-huh. some runs are, you know, manageable. Yeah, but if sure. it's a long run, we do 12 issues or less, kind of find a good stopping point. Point. But starting at the beginning, uh, there'll be some other stuff, you know, wiggle room in there. Like uh, if you get into Claremont's X-Men run or something, that'll probably be broken up. Uh, so depending on how this goes, uh, you'll be invited back either way. But uh, we may continue this run if we choose to, or we may do something else. We'll see what the ratings are like. So check the ratings. we got the Nielsen ratings. I got a little, that giant box on top of your computer that I mailed you, listener, that's uh, ticking your, yeah. your ratings. Everyone call in and vote. Make sure. So we did, you picked a stopping point. I think it's, what, 11 issues in? Yeah, I looked through the run and I kind of, in my head, broke it down into sort of eras, into kind of manageable chunks. So if we do develop, if we do delve more into it, this kind of like, you know, uh, thematic, uh, to me, seem like kind of thematic breaking points. So, Okay. So I'll do sort of like a Wikipedia-esque context for this run, and then we'll talk about our personal relationship with it afterwards. Okay. That'll be the, the the rhythm of this. So John Burns, FF Run. So well, FF in general, I think, is <clears throat> really an interesting title in a lot of ways. I think it's sort of lost to history a little bit that this was the biggest Marvel book for quite a bit of time. So Stan Lee and Jack Kirby basically launched the Marvel Age in 1961 with this series. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was... Correct. Probably along with Amazing Spider-Man, those were the two biggest Marvel series for a number of years. And uh, those two guys did 102 issues straight through. And I think I'll hit that run at some point if this goes on for a while. Because it really is like one of the great runs in comics history. Like you're really watching Jack Kirby's brain just exploding with amazing ideas. Yeah. Issue after issue. And it just builds momentum. It gets kind of better and better as it goes to a point oh you feel like it fizzles out at a point well i think there was a point where jack kirby became a became kind of um unhappy with the fact that everything he was created was being owned by marvel lock stock and barrel so there Mm -hmm. comes a point where he stopped putting new characters in and they just kept recycling through old um characters that had already been in it so and i would say that might be a point i bring to this run like once jack kirby starts doing that that kind of becomes the mo for the entire marvel universe like one thing that really stands out to you at marvel comics is it's basically like jack kirby and also a little bit steve ditko these guys created over the course of like five years a ton of stuff and then it just got recycled for what we're on year 60 of that or something yeah, it was really just kind of like, I mean, really mostly, I mean, we'll, I guess we'll avoid the Jack Kirby, Stan Lee, who did what kind of thing. But regardless, there's definitely a, a uh, you know, an explosion of creativity during those 60s years, which has been unrivaled since then. I mean, yeah. Yeah. But so that's one of the things about John Byrne also is he, I feel like he's at his strongest when he is interpreting other people's characters, mm. not doing his own character. I think his own characters tend to be weaker. He, he's much more like a uh, interpreter than a 
Uh, but we can address that. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. So anyway, the point is that this was kind of the Marvel series, and it never really was again. Would you say it was at this time that John Byrne was working on it, or it was kind of in competition with X-Men and a lot of other stuff, right? Yeah, well, the X. This was during the John Byrne helped popularize the X Men and mm-hmm. then left the, left the book because out of creative differences with Chris Claremont, and so uh, this was what he kind of did in a reaction to that. He wanted to something where he could write it and draw it, and um, you know, with his his legendary ego, why not take on the 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 biggest? You know, what was at one point the greatest comics magazine or whatever or the world's greatest comics magazine is that what it says on the front world's greatest comics magazine yeah yeah so so uh, yeah so jack kirby leaves in 1970 he leaves fantastic four and it kind mm-hmm. of never really seems to recover it gets passed around everyone a lot of you know marv wolfman a lot of big people work on it uh roy thomas yeah george perez had a lengthy run yeah but it never really hits the same way ever again and so then um burn kind of dabbled in it he did a few issues here and there and he did like a coca-cola collaboration or something that became it was rejected by coca-cola and then became two issues of fantastic four uh but so then doug am i pronouncing this right moench i think generally mench Doug Doug Mensch, he's a Mensch. Doug Mensch, I think is how you say it, yeah. And Bill Sienkiewicz, before this, did a run. Yeah, I was uh, looking, um, you know, we start with issue 232, and I wanted to see what was going on previous to this, because, you know, one of John Byrne's things is always like, I'm going to take over the book, and I'm going to basically start from scratch and throw away almost everything you know, mm-hmm. that I don't like. So I was, And I was surprised that uh, Bill Sienkiewicz had just... He was the artist on the book previous to this, but like, it's definitely early Sinkevich. Like, you would never know that it was Bill Sinkevich. You could kind of see, like, it's like Bill Sinkevich and Sal Buscema had a baby, and that's kind of what it looks like. It looks not quite like Bill's. It's not quite mainstream style, but it's not quite all the way, you know, full blown Sinkevich. It looks very weird. Oh, yeah, I haven't seen it. I was curious. I mean, I've always been curious about those issues, but I don't know if I've ever... It's interesting, too, how there's really a Marvel House style in a lot of people. Like, early John Romita Jr. stuff just doesn't look like anything. Yeah, they had a lot of books like that, unfortunately, at the time. So, John, so to get back to your question, I think John Byrne did help make the Fantastic Four, once again, a very popular book. Because he was a very popular artist. So whatever he was going to do was going to get some uh, some attention. So. so, yeah, so it's slumping. At, it's basically kind of in a long kind of middling run. It's yeah. slumping, and then in 81, John Byrne takes it over. So he just got big drawing and co-plotting X-Men with Claremont, which is, you know, many people would say those are the greatest X-Men issues ever. Um, that run, it. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he also worked on Avengers and Captain America, and then he takes over Fantastic Four in 81. And this is maybe the height of his whole career. Yeah, um, yeah, I would say towards the second half of it is when that would say that was like because at one point he was doing this book, he was doing Alpha Flight, and doing like uh, writing other books. It's crazy. He was pr- very uh, prolific at this time. Yeah, and probably the peak of his. I'd say maybe Man of Steel was maybe the peak of his popularity, but around the end of oh right four. That's yeah. right. Yeah, his Superman stuff too. So he has a yeah. few, but he's really firing on all cylinders at this point. Right. Yeah, and I don't think he would ever work on a book as long as this one. I don't think he would ever do 
a 50 issue run on anything again after this i don't think yeah so he ends up doing about 50 issues of this he works on it for a number of years so that's the kind of larger context the you know the wikipedia entry of what this is and then so why did you personally want this to be the run you talked about um i remember buying the um first issue of fantastic four i bought was number 252 i bought it at the rexall drugstore in yorktown heights new york where i grew up back when you could still buy comics at drugstores and back then i was when i was just it was when i was first getting into comics and um i was trying basically anything that looked at all decent and i picked up like two issues of the fantastic four and um enjoyed it and then went back of course and filled it in and i think the end of john burns run pretty much corresponded with the the end of my interest in um like superhero comics so really? it, was, it was well yeah because i got to the point where i was starting to explore more alternative comics and things like that and uh so it was a nice bit of kind of uh that Jean Grey, I always say, is like, I arrived right after Jean Grey died, and then I pretty much stopped reading superhero comics right when they brought Jean Grey back. So it's nothing personal against Jean Grey. It was, it's just kind of a nice, like, I have no affection for the character whatsoever just because she wasn't around when I was reading. So, yeah, so John Byrne, like, when he stopped doing Marvel, that was pretty much when I gave up uh, reading uh, superhero comics. And that's so. about five years. Yeah, so that was about I mean, you I came back to superhero comics later, though. I mean, you I, read them. I, I will read them every now and then, and if, or if someone recommends something good to me, I'll check it out. But that was when I stopped being like a, I'm going to go to the store every week and leave with a stack of superhero comics. And you know what I mean? I guess part of what I'm trying to capture with this podcast is kind of the the sense of wonder that you get, you know, when you're a kid. And, sure. And that serialized comics thing, too. Like, would you remember, yeah. like, waiting for the next issue yeah. and all that? Oh, definitely. There was. Um, th- it's one of the things where you you don't get the thrill of it from reading a book in a collection the way you read it from month to month. Mm-hmm. Uh, at a certain point in this run, uh, uh, John Byrne threatened. The, it ended with a cliffhanger. Like, I guess this is the end of the Fantastic Four. <laughs> and at the time, I was young and naive enough where I was like, "Oh my gosh, are they going to end the book? Like, I can't believe they're going to end the Fantastic Four. And then the next issue, like complete, like had not, like the Fantastic Four weren't in it. Like it was like a total, like I was waiting to see what was going to happen. And then an issue came out, and it was not even addressed at all. The them breaking up, like it was just all. And I was just like going crazy with, and it's it. I can't believe that in retrospect that I was so, like you can really only do that once. You know, I think someone said like, like. After a certain life, probably like five years, you've read every Marvel story there is, and then everything mm-hmm. else is just kind of re- repeating that thing. Is the group going to break up? I lost my powers. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm quit. I'm going to quit being Spider-Man. All these things that people just and you know, you can kind of only fall for it one time when you're young. Well, that's like you mentioned Jean Grey. I remember the yeah. last time Jean Grey kind of famously died, yeah. and then there was this period she was dead for a while, and it was always Jean Grey is dead right now. Like, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that way about everyone. I'm like when you hear the news, oh, they killed Captain America, in in you know, and and people are getting angry about it. Like, well, come on, what do you, what did you guys just fall off the turnip truck? Like, you know, they're <laughs> going to bring back the Human Torch. They're going to bring back Captain America. They can bring everybody back. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No. But so this was really. Were you, were you a kid then? Were you pretty young when these were coming out? Yeah, I was like a maybe like a young teen. 
12, 13, something like that. So your teenage years. And so, uh, yeah, so this was kind of height. This was stuff that really hooked you. Is this part of what made you a lifer for comics? A uh, lifer for reading comics? Yeah, and even making comics. Um, definitely. I mean, I'll always have a love for comics. Uh, I don't know if I would call myself a lifer at this point. So, uh, Well, you read so, comics. I mean, you're sitting yeah, in front yeah. of a big shelf of comics right now. Yeah. Well, that was definitely the time where I decided I'm going to, this is what I want to do. I want to draw comic books because up until then I kind of was like, you know, I was a, I could draw when I was a kid. So I was like, oh, do I want to do animation? Do I want to do comic strips? Do I want to do, uh, you know, Mad Magazine style gags? And then mm. once I le- once I started reading superhero comics, that's when I was like, I want to work for Marvel Comics. And mm. eventually I said, you know, I want to just do comics. I so uh, yeah, it was transformative in that sense because it it gave me a kind of creative direction. It made you want to do something that you would never do, which is work for Marvel <laughs> Comics. I tried. I I, uh, I you know I applied, but then uh, they didn't they didn't take me. So, well, you um, did what you did something in that Strange Adventures anthology. Yeah, that too. Yeah, that was. You after did a I Fantastic already, Four story, right? Yeah, that's true. Of course. Yeah. The, so that was after I was already famous, and then, uh, but. Uh, and that's the only thing you've ever done for Marvel? Mm-hmm. That's true. That's yeah, true. I wish they would bring that back. I feel like they should do that every year, just get a kind of an indie crop and let them do kind of whatever they want in short stories. I can only assume it didn't sell, otherwise they would keep mm. doing it. But. Well, I, I bought it, so that probably means it didn't <laughs> sell. So for me, uh, this is one of those runs I've always known is a classic run, you know? Mm-hmm. And I kind of make mm-hmm. an e- I've made efforts to read classic runs, like I've read... The first hundred issues of Amazing Spider-Man, which is, I think, one of the great comics runs ever. I haven't finished Stan and Jack. I think I got into the 70s and I just sort of put it down. I think actually what you're saying when they start to kind of have like, oh, now Doctor Doom meets Silver Surfer. and Yeah. But I always wanted to get read that Annihilus stuff. But some stuff like that, I think, is kind of timeless. And then one thing I think is going to come up a lot as runs are discussed and people kind of pick runs that are meaningful to them is whether or not it's uh, you had to be there kind of a run. I think that's true probably for every single one of these. Well, I think it's like that <laughs> that that Saturday Night Live rule, right, of everyone thinks Saturday Night Live was only good when they were 12 to 15, yeah. you know? Well, like I said, though, I think um, Lee and Ditko and Lee and Ramita on, St- on Spider-Man, I think you can really see what's great about it. A lot of the early Marvel launch stuff for, um, so I don't know. I mean, it's all subjective, right? Right. Didn't you read the Cree scroll Roar? The Cree scroll War? Recently, I did, Recently. yeah. And that was that's that's considered a big event. And now I remember you saying it was kind of like you had to be there sort of feeling. Yeah, I was like, what am I even reading? Like, <laughs> <laughs> But um, it had some real nice Neil Adams pages. But mm-hmm. yeah, so I always meant to read this. I think I picked up the first Visionaries and I read like the first issue. And yeah. I just kind of didn't. I mean, I uh, my assumption, and you've sort of implied that it picks up as it goes, right? It gets better. Yeah, looking at it here, I think the first four issues are really... I, I don't think it's till 236 that he really is like... Okay, that's the one with the doc... That's the uh, the triple-sized issue with Doctor Doom. Oh, yeah. Where they're all shrunk down. Uh, yeah, and I was reading that, and I was like, why is this triple size? But it's the 20th yeah, anniversary 20th, issue. Yeah, because uh, I was like, why is 236 a big issue? Yeah. But, um, yeah, I have it written down in my notes. We'll see. But there was one issue where I was like, oh, you can kind of see this is where it 
it hits. Like, it yeah. gets where it's going. Yeah, the first three issues are very strange and uh, very kind of, like... Anyway, I guess we'll go through them when we... We'll go through them. But so anyway, yeah. my personal context is I always meant to read these. I never did. One of the things I'm kind of excited about about doing this podcast is being prompted to read a bunch of stuff I may have never gotten around to reading. So that's what this is for me. But I would say I had... And again, maybe it's of an era or the age I am, but I had more trouble. It kind of helped me see why this is I, I get it like i get that this is like refreshing a, a kind of a thing that was getting stale but i don't feel like i fully get that like right. i get that as a concept but i don't see how and also john byrne in my lifetime has become such a tainted brand you know it's <laughs> the other yeah. thing like can you separate him as a guy from his body of work uh me personally yeah uh, yeah, I I can. I mean, I love his work. Uh, I love his not all of his work, but I, there's some stuff that is very. And you know, I'm not going to deny that there's probably a great deal of sentimentality to it. But I know that there's all these stories about what a jerk he is, and and or, or at least that he's a very um, you know, he can be somewhat uh, I don't know eccentric in his his handling of dealing with the public. So, uh, but you know, I don't think. Every artist, I don't only want to read art by people who are nice people. You know what yeah, I mean? I yeah, want to yeah. read art by people who are different and might be total jerks. But you know, if, if so. Well, uh, I'm yeah. just trying to gain uh, social clout by throwing someone under the bus. So, <laughs> <clears throat> 2022. Yeah, is that going to be the click? Is that going to be the clickbait art title of the uh, the, <laughs> the episode? Like John Byrne, the, more like the- jerk jerk burn my favorite one i ever saw though and this isn't relevant really but um i saw like some compilation of like the worst stuff he ever said yeah and he was like uh why are people saying christopher reeves is a hero all he did was fall off a horse you know yeah. and he get paralyzed why does that make someone a hero and then it was like this was posted like the day after he died or something right, yeah it's like why why do you have to say that I'm all about respecting, you know, great works and kind of seeing them in context. Uh, And also, yeah, I've kind of always known. And also, you know, when I was in high school, John Byrne was doing like the the Spider-Man reboot. He was already kind of just turning out crap. It was like so I, I yeah, I'm this is just one of those things where we're we're not very far apart in age, but this is our two different eras or whatever. Right. Totally. So, but, you know, I would love it if you could kind of, like, help me see this through your eyes. <laughs> sure. <laughs> through your, uh, so we'll trade glasses. I'm happy to. So we start with issue 232. That's, again, not his first ever issue of Fantastic Four, but the, the start of his run. I think he had uh, illustrated before. But I think this might be his first writing. Okay. I could be wrong. But, uh, yeah, anyway. I believe you. So, and then we open with, uh, you know, like many great runs, it opens with Diablo, uh-huh. the 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 beloved. You know, it's like if you if you need a if you need a hook, pull out Diablo, that old chestnut. And uh, I love that we see Diablo in full costume in his crappy apartment. Yeah, landlady <laughs> dealing with his landlady. <laughs> that's one of my favorite. I don't know if I don't think that's a trope, but like 
villains or just people who you wouldn't even normally see in the apartment getting hassled by their landlord is always yeah. very funny to me. Like that scene in the Terminator where he's getting hassled by his landlord. That's like yeah. one of those things that even when I think about it at all, I start laughing. But why is he in full costume just in his apartment? That's very strange to me. It's very Venture Brothers kind of kind of thing. The Venture Brothers has a lot of that kind of stuff, like villains having a, like lived into their day to day lives and stuff like that. Just but in in costume at home, like yeah, wearing yeah, a costume totally. for no yeah, one. That's just part of the like. That's why they do it because they enjoy wearing the costume. So uh, to me, this seems like having him as a first villain seems okay. It's like having an out of town tryout. You like you don't want to start with like Doctor Doom in the first issue. You want to have a kind of you know uh, glass jaw guy you have to fight first. <laughs> Start, just ease into it. Yeah, totally. So then uh, Sue Storm gets a new hairdo, right? That seems mm-hmm. like a little bit of a, you know, I'm John Byrne and I'm taking over this joint, right? Yeah, she would have a couple of hairdos uh, throughout John Byrne's run, including, I guess, which was my least favorite, or the much maligned mullet one where she had oh. short hair in the front with a little curl, and then in oh. the back it was long, and uh, oh my gosh. Like, you know, it was like 1986 or something, but yeah. I wasn't gonna really push for us to continue this run, but now that you've you've brought up Sue Storm's power mullet, I think I might um, <laughs> invisible it. And uh, like even in Kirby's run, she gets new hairstyles sometimes, right? Yeah. Like that's yeah. always been a thing. Yeah, she changes with the time. She never ages, but she changes with the times. Yeah, well, no one ages. None of the. Uh, although it's interesting that none of the other guys, you know, neither. I guess uh, uh, Johnny changes hair haircuts a couple of times. Does he? Does he get a mullet? In John Burns' run, he does. I think he does the thing where he has a shaved, like the kind of skater. You know, it's longer on the top and sides, and the, like shaved in the back, and just shaved on the back and sides, but longer on the top. You know what I mean? Uh, anyway, you'll see. We'll see when we get there. Can't wait. Uh, so, oh, and he, she's got a real flamboyant hairdresser. I liked that too. That gave a little bit of a, a, yeah. a little character to it. And then they fight elemental monsters, and Sue uses her powers in a new way. Yeah. Which is, that's another sort of him coming in, and it seems like, right, he's sort of examining this character of the invisible girl and going, like, maybe let's do something with this character. To his credit, he made Sue into one of the most powerful characters, basically, like, having a, a form of, like, telekinesis, really. She could lift stuff up and move stuff around and... You know, um, so and also most famously changing her name from the invisible girl to the invisible woman. So, yeah, which uh, doesn't happen in these in these issues I read. Yeah, I yeah, it that's comes not, later. Until, not until much later on. But he also had um, some of his, uh, uh, particularly as the series went on, there was like accusations of like a lot of uh, female violence in the book. But we'll get to that later on. Violence against women. Violence against women. Mm, so yeah, as we get to the end of this run, there's some. Uh, some I'm not quite sure what happens to Sue Storm in at least right. one scene. So that's all I got for that first issue. I don't know if you have yeah. anything else to say about it. Um, I was just going to comment on, um, yeah, this one really just seems like they were kind of like, it seems like a fill-in issue where they're just kind of like showing off their basic powers. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, also the thing would continue to evolve very much under John Byrne's uh, run. So something to keep an eye on. Uh, the way Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and it seems like he's having trouble drawing the thing. Yeah. And probably the thing, along with Spider-Man's webs, just yeah. the thing in general as a design, has got to be one of the most pain-in-the-ass 
designs. Like, if I can how many people came on to Fantastic Four and were like, "How am I going to draw this guy?" Yeah, it's a, it's I've I love the thing, and I've never, I don't feel like I've ever drawn a successful thing drawing. It always looks wrong and uh, very complicated. So, yeah, I don't understand like what what sort of a system Jack Kirby came up with to draw this guy. Like it doesn't, and it seems to me we'll get to it, but you know, skipping ahead a little bit, the thing gets uh, mushy instead of rock. He reverts to his original. And I feel like that was just John Byrne. Like I'm not drawing these rocks. Yeah, we'll get to there. We'll get to that. (laughs) It's coming up. Jumped ahead. So the second issue, this is something that happens. I think uh, these sort of weird, morality plays comics i think does that like j michael straczynski has done a bunch of these where it's Mm -hmm. like it seems like you're trying to point out something but your own sense of morality is skewed or you think you're smarter than you it's like so guys on death row uh oh i had a question too so guys on death row he writes a letter to johnny storm right yeah, I don't even think you need to go into the details of this one. It's I think it's the worst issue of the stretch. Well, now we have to. But okay. so one thing is the letter gets to the Baxter building and what is happening in the rest of the ba- do they own the entire Baxter building the they Fantastic Four? They don't own any Four? of it. They they rent it all. Are they renting the entire building? No, they just rent the top floors. So what's going on in the? Is it office space or yeah, they're like? Can I you take a Pilates just, class in the Baxter Building or? I guess it's just like office space. Yeah, it's just full of accountants and stuff. I I cannot uh, we cannot divulge any information about what kind of clients are there, but as far as I know, it's just regular offices and stuff. You wouldn't want okay. to be have an office underneath the Baxter Building. Well, I'm wondering, would that be more expensive or less expensive than than a, an, an office you know two blocks away? Because it's a, it's definitely a name address, mm-hmm. but on the other hand, there's a gateway to the negative zone up there. So you know who knows what's going to happen. Like, how often does the the top of the Baxter Building get blown up? It's like at this point, it's every three months. Yeah. So uh, uh, well, that will be addressed in a story uh, in this in this run that the uh, where at one point uh, Reed Richards does buy the Baxter Building. So oh, so that they do address that. So. Uh, it's one thing you gotta love about John Byrne. He loves those like fan nerd type of questions like that, and he he feels he like he has to answer them. Yeah, I mean, I like and I like how Marvel Comics will sort of address these things, but like within the same sort of improbable fan. Like one of the very first issues of Fantastic Four, they get they don't have any money and they get like evicted from the Baxter yeah. Building, and then <laughs> it's never like a sensible solution. It's yeah. always anyway the things throwing stuff at Johnny. Um, so the the guy on Death Row wants Johnny to clear his name, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, so Johnny goes investigating. He threatens to burn a guy to get info, which I thought was remarkable. Um, he comes across Hammerhead. I really like the way Hammerhead talks. He says, get out of here, you yellow cruds. I love dialogue <laughs> like that. Um, cruds. I don't think cruds needs to be pluralized. Cruds, you you cruds, you cru- The plural for cruds is just crud. Like multiple cruds are just crud. Well, if you say like I, there was a bunch of crud in the bathtub. Like, why would you say there's a bunch of cruds in the bathtub? So, like, if you and another guy, I'm I'm razzing you. I say, look at that crud over. Look at those crud. <laughs> is it like I mean, a well, murder of, of ravens? Calling a person a crud is a, is a stupid insult. 
I think we should bring Crud back, honestly. <laughs> you can I see think... when Hammerhead says, get out of here, you yellow Cruds, the guys he's saying it to, you can see they're they're hurt by it. Like, they really feel the insult. Oh, I thought I was going to do the operas. I was going to say that as soon as he said it, Hammerhead was like, why did I say Cruds? Like, no. I'm a gangster. I'm calling people Cruds. No, uh, he's like, I, I can hurt you with this hard head of mine, but it's my words that do the real harm. That's the weird part about the story. Why, Like, it's, Hammerhead is primarily a Spider-Man villain. So, uh-huh. like, having a human torch-centered thing about a Spider-Man villain, the second issue into the run seems very, like, oh, this seems like a, more like something you would pull out of your hat, like, like farther on down the run. Mm. Like, well, I've used up all the Fantastic Four people. I got to start using other people's bad guys, you know? Yeah, I always like the idea, though, that Marvel Comics, it's an interconnected universe, and it makes sense that, yeah. you know, these characters would, would kind of commingle more. But anyway, so he's dealing with Hammerhead for a long time, and then it's all pointless because then he gets the Kingpin dossier to clear the guy's name, which was something that was going on. Is that Mazik, Frank Miller and Mazakelli on Daredevil, right? That's where that comes from? I mean, this is this is probably this is probably like eight years before that happened. So, oh, is it? Yeah, this is this is Mazzucchelli wasn't until much later on. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, how yeah. embarrassing for me. No, but right. well, it seems like something happened with the Kingpin and Daredevil recently that's referenced. Okay. Yeah, where it that, might be Frank Miller, but definitely not Mazzucchelli. Or I don't know. He clears his name, and then Johnny's, like, talking to the guy's mom, and the mom's like, I deserve to die. And you're like, well, now it's really pointless. <laughs> this whole, yeah, this is a very strange story that it it almost feels like it was, like, like they just kind of, I, I don't know, had something in inventory or something, and were just like, here, have Johnny do this. <laughs> or they were like, uh, people yeah. need to support the death penalty. One thing I noticed, uh, I wanted to call attention to one of John Byrne's big uh, innovations was the collars of the Fantastic Four. Mm. Uh, prior to this, um, everyone had very thin, narrow collars, like um, you know, like on a not trying to think, like a baseball jersey or something. But John Byrne made them have much wider uh, necks. That was his uh, thing. Really. Like, yeah, if you look at previous issues, they're almost just like blue uniforms with a thin black ring, but he made them into like black turtlenecks that had much wider bases. So Fascinating. Check that, check that out, John Byrne. Thank well, you. if if nothing else if comes out of this podcast, there is that. Yeah. Cool. Um, and support the death penalty. So then we get to 234. Oh, yeah, the man with the power. And this is another... Run. Really weird, yeah. It's like yeah. kind of like a, a Will Eisner spirit homage or something, maybe. Or it almost feels like the kind of stories that were in like Amazing Fantasy number seven. You know those, <laughs> all those pre superhero stories that Marvel was doing, where it was like little kind of Twilight Zoney kind of stories. Yeah. So we meet a guy and is kind of a schlub. But it keeps saying he's got these incredible abilities, and yeah. I like his deadbeat son, who's like. 35 at least who's he's reading, he's reading a centerfold at the uh, the kitchen table <laughs> i always read a centerfold when i'm eating breakfast <laughs> with my parents <laughs> he's reading beaver hunt this is a recurring john where yeah so this guy has like this power basically to kind of it's almost like that twilight zone thing where 
things he wishes happen. Like he's able to change things like, oh, his son is such a dirtbag. And then it kind of like goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. And his son becomes a cool, like a nice guy. But Does um, he though? It seems like, I don't even know what the point of this story. It seems like maybe it's like this guy is capable of anything, but he never really applies himself. Maybe yeah. is the idea. This is a uh, recurring John Byrne uh, thing of a guy who like accidentally gets superpowers or something. There's one of them is someone who gets alien technology and this is one where someone has like is it has incredible mind power, like a, a normal humble guy who has mind powers that are affecting the world. This is a story he he does a few times. Well, I hope the other one's better than this. Um, I also like one thing I love about Marvel Comics is how people always say like what they're like. I, Ryan Alexander Tanner, am here to meet you, Alex Robinson, to drink soda. Or yeah. like, why do you always have to? Sue's well, like, I'm good thing I can turn my clothes invisible while I hold this brick wall up with my force. It's like, why was that what she's thinking about? Well, it might be worth noting that this was done under the editor in chiefship of uh, Jim Shooter, mm-hmm. uh, and one of Jim Shooter's um, sort of credos was that uh, comics were getting a little too self-indulgent, and it was hard for new people to join in. So basically, every issue you had to include as much stu- like you had to pretend it was someone's first issue. Yeah, that's where you were telling the story to. So people were constantly referring to their powers, how they got their powers, like the relationships between people, you know, you know, oh, my brother-in-law did that, you know, like it's everyone is constantly expressing a lot of exposition. So, um, Reed's like, Johnny, will you hand me that pen? And he's like, (laughs) yeah, I can't believe that we went in that rocket ship a few years ago and bombarded by cosmic rays. Here's your pen, Reed. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a style of the time. So it 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 sometimes can make it difficult reading uh, for modern readers because it's it can be a lot of uh, what feels like extraneous text to uh, to get through. It's also, I mean, I think classic Marvel comics kind of to me are always a good mix of like uh, actually something incredibly well made and yeah. sort of sophisticated and also sort of campy garbage. Like yeah. that balance of them, I think is what keeps me yeah. forever enamored of them. And so I think <laughs> yeah. that's one of the elements of like, yeah. I Thor will smite you with my hammer Mjolnir. It's like, yeah, yeah got to say your name and your hammer's name while you're hitting someone. Uh, and then I was confused by this too. I, I don't know if I read it wrong. I look back, but I think the guy, like gets killed he's the thing is on the bridge and then the guy's on the bridge and then the guy gets crushed yeah the guy gets crushed by the a part of the bridge and then it doesn't what? matter later no because he's uh, he's always able to change the past so so it just he just makes it not happen yeah yeah, he says for a moment. Yeah, because that's what happens at the end. You see him when he's standing there and he's watching the rocket leave the Baxter building. Mm-hmm. And then he basically undoes everything. That's his superpowers. He can undo things. But he can sort of alter reality, right? He's yeah. like the most 
powerful guy in exi- and then he doesn't die or anything right we just don't care about him anymore afterwards yeah, he just goes back to his life it's weird because it segues into the story about ego coming mm-hmm. and it's not clear what it, uh, which of the effects are happening because of this guy and which of the effects are happening because ego is i think a lot of the stuff that we assume the guy is causing are actually being caused by ego the living planet approaching he's like they're all like gravity waves are are it's 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 a very muddled uh, transition between the two stories but ego the living planet is here well that's good <laughs> never fear <laughs> well it is the first we did have a little bit of diablo earlier but this is the first like classic fantastic four um like villain i guess you could call him a villain uh that we have so uh it's noteworthy in that regard yeah, and when he shows up, he says, I am the living planet, I am Ego, in, yeah. in classic Marvel style. So, yeah, he's a, he's an interesting-looking guy. It's such a strange concept, just like a planet. With a giant face on it. With a big face on it, yeah. yeah. And then, and then, so when they're... This, I think this is the issue. It's got a cool cold open, with the thing is like deep in Ego's innards or whatever and he's yeah. uh and again this is another one where it's all a build up to something that ends up not even mattering right yeah they're trying to they're trying to blow up ego but uh it doesn't work but while they're doing it it still winds up defeating him in a way they hadn't intended really so it does it it it, it blows up ego's rocket thing or whatever right. yeah okay right so, yeah, but I think that's a cool opening where the thing is like everyone else has been taken out and the mm-hmm. pressure is kind of crushing him. And then we go back to the the build up to it. Yeah. And then they're just uh, they're just fighting ego and getting picked off one by one. Right. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the thrust of the story there. Thrust. The thrust. And then it seems like there's a lot of um, stuff that's happened to ego that maybe happened in a different comic earlier or maybe in an early Fantastic Four. Like, it seems like Galactus and Ego have been in conflict and that's why Ego has a big rocket pack stuck on him. Yeah. Um, Yeah, there's a little sort of mini recap about Ego's uh, life up until this point. Uh, (laughs) And also noteworthy because Ego seems to die at the end of the story. Spoiler alert. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But that is also a John Byrne trademark is uh, killing off uh, characters. Oh, really? Yeah. He, you know, he loves doing a kind of shocking, especially if it's like a minor, you know, character that people aren't necessarily going to get upset about. Of course they do because they're comic book fans. But uh, yeah, we'll see, see this a couple of times during throughout the run that um, someone is uh, killed off. Does so. Wyatt Wingfoot ever show up in this run? Wyatt Wingfoot does indeed show up. Does he get killed? No, he does not. He, okay, uh, well he becomes She-Hulk's lover. Oh, <laughs> now I really want to read these. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, and then there's... I didn't mention Frankie Ray is kind of a subplot throughout these. She and Johnny are in a relationship. Um, there's a scene where she gets out of the shower, and then... Uh, oh, yeah, Ego has, like, a fake brain that they he fakes them out with yeah pseudo and then oh and then there's like reference to thor also in the backstory of this thing it's weird because usually it's like you know smile and stan this happened in this issue or whatever but we don't really it doesn't seem super clear like where maybe there's a reference to it i don't know but 
for a series where everyone always says out loud what's happening and who they are, mm-hmm. it seemed awfully um, elaborate and confusing what what the context of what Ego's going through was. Mm-hmm. So the thing tries to blow him up with the bomb and he misses, but it it blows up Ego's thruster pack that Galactus attached to him and he flies into the sun. Uh-huh. Dead. Fried Ego. And, and he's never, never to be seen from ever again. Nope. The end. Pour one out for Ego. So yeah, 236 is the triple size. So you're saying this is the issue where it really comes into the... I think this is the first like good issue. Should have just started at this one then. Um, it's also a very weird premise, though, but uh, walk me through it. Well, we uh, see uh, the Fantastic Four, kind of. We see them as in their civilian uh, life, and they're basically living in a small town. Reed is a college professor, and uh, it's almost like what if they had never had their powers, but they're mm-hmm. haunted by dreams where they are given superpowers. Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually they, did, they figure out that they are, in fact, uh, tiny replicas, humans living in a giant fake like model railroad town uh thanks to the thanks to teaming up of the puppet master with their old rival dr doom himself and that's one of those things that like no one would have guessed but but because who what (laughs) like it's (laughs) what a strange like if it was like uh you know they're all because they're all in stasis, all the Fantastic Four. Yeah, they're basically all like in hibernation while their minds are basically some kind of like like a uh, virtual reality, but but it's tiny little uh, you know toy people as opposed to being in a virtual environment. Right. So that's something we've seen a million zillion times: is heroes get captured and they're in sort of a, a alternate reality yeah. that's inside of their yeah. heads while they're all in stasis. But that they're actually, their consciousness are inside these tiny robots of themselves in like a little model town is just, why? Just what? <laughs> it's really weird. Yeah, I was, I'm guessing this, a lot of time John Byrne would go back to the uh, original Fantastic Four and find some weird, like, like I'm sure at one point the, the puppet master mentioned building tiny, like, I feel like this is something that might have been gleaned from a past story. The idea of putting people into a little uh, puppet versions of themselves. But I still think it's, it's a goofy story, of course. But uh, I think it's a... Um, I think it's a good one. The reveal of Doctor Doom. The giant Doctor Doom looming over the whole city is, is a whole little town is, is super cool. Uh, the, the design of the puppet master I want to talk about, too. Which is, you know, not a... Not a John Byrne design, but what a weird looking... He's got... I don't think there's a villain with prettier eyelashes than the Puppet Master. He has a strangely feminine, uh, you know, uh, appearance to himself. Well, he's like bald and he's got a really big eyes and mouth and then just beautiful eyelashes. Yeah, totally. He's... uh, Maybe he's born with it. I think so. I mean, I would like to know what sort of products he uses because yeah. I would like to. And then, um, oh, there's a really cool sequence where the thing turns into kind of the history of the thing. Yeah, he kind of goes it, through the whole the whole development 
Uh, yeah, over the course of a page, which that was pretty cool and yeah. kind of, you know, sets up for what will happen. Yeah. And then uh, and then Vince Vaughn, I thought was pretty interesting, ends up being Dr. Doom, but his name's Vince Vaughn. I, uh-huh. I wonder if the actor <laughs> got his name from that. Um, so Reed figures out what's going on. Obviously, we're tiny little robots. He stabs himself. I like that part, too, where he stabs himself, and then he's like, oh, wait, maybe uh, <laughs> there's kind of a minute where he might have just be bleeding to death because... Yeah. Also, I uh, one thing I was saying about, about the Fantastic Four in general, uh, this is just sort of a inherent quality of Fantastic Four, they're all sort of defined by their powers except for Reed Richards. Like, it kind of doesn't matter that he's a stretchy guy. Uh, I mean, yeah, I guess in the, in the stories it does, but it's not it's not as much of a factor. His it's more his leadership than it is about his stretchiness. Well, and his scientific... I mean, yeah. very rarely does Reed Richards go, oh, I'll use my stretch. That's what got us out of this, is that I can stretch. It's yeah. always like, oh, and then I invented a thing that made the scrolls turn yeah. to cows or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's, it's sort of like you could switch out Reed Richards' power with kind of anything, and it wouldn't really affect the character. Yeah, that's true. That's funny. And the other three characters, I don't think that's true at all. It's like really what their abilities are kind of defines what they do. Yeah. Because Reed's the leader. He kind of keeps... And then they're all sort of like the muscle. Or, you know, Sue's more of like a stealthy one, sort of. But they're all kind of support him in these ways. Yeah, it's kind of like Reed is saying, oh, okay, Johnny, direct direct your heat over there and burn that. You know, like they're all kind of... Yeah, I see what you mean. That's a good observation. I also like how Reed's always really short with everyone. He's always like, quiet! <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just like, he seems like a nice, he's kind of a jerk a little bit, actually, you know? like He's he's a bit condescending. Yeah. Yeah. He's really in himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the, on the other hand, I love the Thing's dialogue. I think the Thing is so funny, calling him Stretcho and Big Brain and, and all that stuff like that. I think that's such a... Uh, He's a fun character to. He must be a fun character to write. He's one of like the the most distinct personalities in all of Marvel comics. I would say, yeah, visually and personality wise, yeah. And it's it's funny if you look at all the covers of the Fantastic Four. The Thing is prominent on so like he's definitely the character in the forefront in a lot of uh, the a lot of the covers. Well, he's really the most distinctive visual, especially if you consider that the Human Torch is a recycled character yeah, from yeah. earlier on. But the Thing is just like the Thing is one of those characters that nobody else would have ever come up with that character, yeah. you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he basically is Jack Kirby, right? That's kind of the like yeah, personality-wise, and yeah, I think Kirby himself said that that he was the closest to his personality. Um, one thing I like also in this story is they refer to Dr. Doom's face um, being uh, scarred. Yeah. Uh, because. Well, Sue sees his face, right? Yeah, she does see his face and she's like, oh my gosh, it's even worse than I imagined. Well, she's like, it's not. Well, it's sort of vague, I think. Because, well, you know what his face ends up looking like, right? Because I'm not sure. Uh, well, later on, uh, Byrne does a retelling of the origin of uh, Doctor Doom, which kind of melds together. The, the controversy was, what does Doctor Doom look like under his mask? Mm-hmm. Uh, Stan Lee was saying he's horribly burned and deformed. Jack Kirby was saying he only has a tiny little scar, but he's so vain that he wants to cover it up. 
mm-hmm. and John Byrne later does a story that kind of combines those two origins where he originally has a relatively small scar and he's his vanity insists that he covered it up and he puts the mask on while it's like fresh out of the kiln uh-huh. and so he goes like and like presses it to his flesh and so it kind of combines the two you know he is hideously scarred but only because he originally covered it up so um uh, anyway, yeah, so I like that that it refers to that um, and that we don't see his face after the mask. Does Byrne ever draw Dr. Doom's face? Uh, not not after he puts on the mask. You see him before he puts it on and he's like, oh my gosh, I'm hideously scarred. And he has a small scar on his face. But Oh, but um, then you don't see his... But after I, he does not, after he uh, puts on the mask, you never see his face again. And before this, like... Jack Kirby never drew Doctor Doom's face, right? No, I don't think they ever did. I think they wanted to keep it secret. Because I think more recently, he, you know, it's one of those things where you know it gets busted out every so often. You know, yeah, like, it seems too tempting to ignore to be able to reveal that. You know, to re to reexamine it. Yeah, and he's like different at different times. Yeah. Oh, and I like that Ben the thing doesn't want to go back. He's actually like I kind of think initially I prefer being a tiny replica of myself that's not a freakish <laughs> mass of orange rocks yeah it makes sense. well yeah that's kind of one of the interesting things is the one of the weird things about the puppet master also is that his daughter his stepdaughter not even his biological daughter his stepdaughter is the girlfriend of the ever-loving blue-eyed thing yeah so and part of the reason he did this was so that his daughter would be happy living with uh with ben Grimm. and i so. bet i mean i bet ben Grimm is him and Alicia Masters were just going at it like crazy just during this brief period where they were little robots and anyway. But yeah, so that's a cool scene where so then the tiny Fantastic Four break out of the he so Reed like turns them into the Fantastic Four again. They're tiny and that's what's weird too, is he's not like, Oh, okay, I'll figure out how to get our consciousnesses back in our bodies. Yeah. He's like, oh, okay. This is again this weird logic where he's like no, I will turn our tiny selves into our Fantastic Four empowered selves, and then yeah. we'll our tiny Fantastic Four selves will go take out Doctor Doom, and then he, that's what they do. Yeah, he's not, he's a smart guy. But that is a cool scene where Tiny Sue is approaching Doctor Doom, and he's playing the piano. That's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Like, yeah. there's something, there's a quality to that scene that I think really yeah. works. And then that's it, right? It's like just the tiny Fantastic Four that just beat up Doctor Doom. <laughs> yeah, well, that will become a recurring, uh, recurring theme. That the tiny robot Fantastic Four beats no, no, up that Doctor, Doctor Doom. They'll face Doctor Doom a couple. Of, they'll, they will, you know, he'll be a recurring uh, villain in the in the storyline. Uh, I also want to call attention to the cover of this issue. Um, it, it was, uh, as we discussed, the 20th anniversary of the Marvel Age of Comics, the 20th anniversary of Fantastic Four number one, and uh, it's the cover is like a who's who of Marvel Comics at the time, uh, mm. including Stanley himself is on the cover. Uh, and originally, it was supposed to include Jack Kirby and Stanley on the cover, mm. uh, but at the time, Jack Kirby was uh, in a fight to get his artwork, his original artwork, back from Marvel. So Marvel did not think it was appropriate to have a guy who was in the process of suing Marvel on the front of one of their uh, books. So it's unfortunate. 
But they did think it was appropriate to take a bunch of Jack Kirby storyboards from the Fantastic Four cartoon Mm -hmm. and get people to ink them and print them as a new story in this issue. Yes. Well, if you're going to make a triple size, you you got to cut some corners. And, you know, if you're going to screw over uh, Jack Kirby, you might as well just really go all in, right? Oh, but real quick, and then tiny uh, robot Dr. Doom gets attacked by the townspeople who are, for some reason, still... The tiny robot townspeople. Tiny robot townspeople who are, I guess, just actual robots. Um, Yeah, and that's a really weird... And it's just a a redo of uh, Fantastic Four, like, two or three. The first Dr. Doom. It's Mm -hmm. one of the... Maybe four, one of the first issues... But with Herbie, love oh, that. Right. <laughs> and then a different anchor on each page, which is really jarring to read. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's just an additional, just, you bonus, know, they just... Bonus feature. We're trying to uh, to figure out how else they could disrespect Jack Kirby. So they, <laughs> they just took some of his uh, storyboards and they just, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's 20th anniversary. Congratulations for your mm-hmm. great achievement, Jack Kirby. Congratulations. And this, so 237 has a cool psychedelic cover. Mm-hmm. The eyes have it. Um, this is the one I wrote down where it seems like it really... Maybe because the last issue he is, is oversized, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, John Byrne seems to be able to crank out pages, but I felt like compositionally and it just seems like... There was a look to this issue that was really working. It seemed to really... It was working. It looked good. Yeah. Oh, good. That was a good-looking issue. I thought you were going to say the opposite, that I thought you were going to say it looked... uh, That it looked rushed because the other one was uh, triple-sized. No, I felt like I wrote in my notes, this was the issue to me where it seemed like he's really hitting it, like where he's getting really comfortable with it. Yeah. Later on, he would really go through a period where he was apparently dissatisfied with his inking and would change like he was basically inking almost like with a sharpie hmm. and uh, so this is a good inking period for him um, he was inking with a sharpie because he was dissatisfied with his inking he did not like this inking quality and at a certain point he changed he's if in the, in the I think like issue like 251 or something he changes inking styles uh well, we'll talk about that when we get there. But uh, yeah, this is this is kind of good burn stuff. Yeah, it looks good. And then I, I'm I'm interested in this. They stick Doctor Doom in this like solid black shape, uh-huh. which I really like. Stuff like that feels like a really cool Fantastic Four. I mean, obviously, it's not a good idea to have Doctor Doom in stasis inside of the Baxter Building. I feel like probably that's not gonna turn out well uh-huh yeah but i like that um there's just stuff like that in fantastic four sort of visually invent- like doom's time machine that's like the rising flat platform yeah, yeah that kirby created so cool and i like this solid black rectangle that's like doom is stuck inside of it i really like the way uh, john Byrne draws like technology it has a weird <laughs> like I just it's I can't quite describe it, but it, it's like detailed, but you know, I don't know. I like the way he does it. Yeah, when he's lifting the the um, the weight recreated for him, that's yeah. got a it's like the little weight, but it's magnetized to the ground. That's pretty cool. 
This issue uh, features the villain, I guess you could call her. I don't know if you could call her that. Her name is Spinneret. She makes uh-huh. she makes people dizzy, and uh, she is the first of what will become. Well, I suspect that John Byrne must have a fetish for big big ladies. I was going to ask about because that because this is the first, you know, She Hulk. Most famously, will kind of that'll be kind of like the culmination of his. Uh, but uh, yeah, so um, keep an eye out for that if you are so inclined. No, I was distracted by that, and everyone sort of seems to be really attracted to her, and it seems like it's supposed to be a given that we're all like, oh yeah, nine foot woman, like that's like the <laughs> ideal, you know, just, a, just you know, like basic standard uh, beauty proportions, but just like you know, uh, eight or nine feet tall. <laughs> like, yeah, totally. And I don't get, I don't have a problem with someone being into that. I yeah. just, I don't understand why that's the thing. And then uh, Frankie Ray's. Uh, roommate, uh, Julie Angel. Yes. That's a, just a weird character. <laughs> uh, you mean in gen- the way she looks or the way her, just her character? Does she show up later? Oh, yeah. She becomes a recurring character. Okay. Yeah. Because she kind of has a big monologue out of nowhere. And then I don't know if she's in these again. Yeah. And then Frankie Ray's like, all right, Johnny, I got something crazy to show you. And that's the cliffhanger. We'll yeah. talk about that when we get to the next issue. But, um,. Yeah, so then Spinneret is basically... Oh, and Franklin's in these ones, too. We don't... He's sort of there when it's convenient, it seems like. Yeah, they always allude to having, like, robot nannies and stuff. <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> I also tell you, as the parent of a small child, it, it, yeah. it's always on shows where they're like, they have a baby and then you almost never see it. They're like, oh, where's the baby? Oh, yeah, we got a babysitter. It's just kind of this, like, you know, vague, like, uh, it's like having a cat... Like, you just have someone stop in every other day and feed it. That's good enough. No, it's changed my relationship with television, actually. Like, the casual baby. Like, yeah. even Six Feet Under is a great series, you know? And, like, yeah. I said, will you watch Maya for me? And you're like, no, it's not how it goes. It's like, no, it's that's a really big ask. You don't just, like, on your way out, ask someone to watch At least they're acknowledging it. Like, we were watching Ozark, and they're like many episodes in which the baby is just kind of like never uh, never addressed yeah breaking bad the baby is another one where it's like come on man there's like you wouldn't i if my wife was a a secret drug baroness she could totally get away with it i would never catch on i would be like i'm too busy (laughs) i have no i don't know where you are when you're not here i can't even think about it But, uh, yeah, so this giant woman is incredibly attractive, and basically it's all a misunderstanding, right? She's yeah. uh, she's making people dizzy out of defense, and she's from some species. Oh, and is this the first time Franklin uses his powers? Uh, yeah. In this, in, this, in this run, yeah. Like you said, we haven't really seen Franklin very much, so. Yeah, but it's, it's, I think it's the first time he uses his powers ever, maybe. Oh, really? I don't know. I actually don't know. Uh, yeah, so I like that she's basically just like drunk on Earth's atmosphere is what's happening. She's just like, whoa, Earth's atmosphere is tripping me out. And then she's just from an incredible... Are the men supposed to be incredibly attractive too? The nine foot tall men or is it just the women? I think they're also all supposed to be attractive. And okay. I think that the premise I think also is that they're all identical. Uh-huh. Yeah, they're like all clones of each other. So when she came to this planet, she just assumed she would fit in because everyone looked so different that they wouldn't notice that she was looked very different. Right. It was sort of the gag at the end. And I thought that their patterning was a very Ditko 
that sort yeah. of scribble effect. That's yeah. like something only Steve Ditko would. Uh, yeah, totally. S- speedball. Speedball, man. I want to do speedball at some point. That's a great. I love those speedball comics. <laughs> so then uh, we have smiling John Byrne on the cover. That's pretty. Uh, Number two thirty eight. Yeah. Yeah. Very strange cover. So, speaking of very strange, so then the reveal of Frankie is that she's got, like, a leotard she can't take off. Yeah, anytime she is fully naked, she, this basically little bathing suit thing appears on her, basically a superhero costume. But it's not, it's just like a little, like, a leotard. It's like what it... It has gloves, too. Oh, that's, okay, well then, sorry. My mistake. And she's never noticed this before. She also just kind of casually is like, oh, by the way, my first memory, I was like 12 and I was in a warehouse. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I don't know who created this character or how much he's in the series before this. But it uh-huh. seems like, uh, I don't know. You would have kind of addressed this. So, and also, I, I think it poses some pretty uh, glaring questions. If you had a leotard grafted to your body that you could never take off. Like, uh, I don't know. Uh, Here's a bit of trivia. This story was from uh, John Byrne's initial... Uh, when John Byrne applied for a job originally with Marvel Comics, he wrote a, and drew a Fantastic Four story that basically was this same story. Mm. He just kind of modified it for this. So this was clearly a story he had in mind for a long time. This whole He was like a woman who can't take off her leotard. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a thing that he was really into. That's what the people... Uh, and if she was nine feet tall, I couldn't even handle it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like also that the cover of this is the 10-speed Formula Racer right. uh, giveaway. I love that stuff. Like, the win a 10-speed Formula 10 racer. It's just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, how did she go to the bathroom? Well, it seems like she can... As long as she's not completely naked, it works. So, as long as she's wearing, like... A t-shirt she can pull her pants down and it's no problem really yeah because you'll see when she puts her when she puts her robe on the gloves disappear but i thought that they were she was wearing them they just weren't visible she's not even wearing them you know i don't know i don't know either but no, i'm it just says, really it says wondering it's, it vanishes as if it's absorbed into my skin so, oh okay so, all right so, so she has I, to like put a hat on put some socks on if she's gotta she go to the hat bathroom on, yeah yeah put a hat on she's got her little hat next to her at the toilet <laughs> <laughs> it's my toilet hat it does seem weird that she never noticed this before like she had never been completely naked in her entire life before well and what does that leotard smell like you know i mean well i guess if it gets absorbed into her skin maybe each time it starts it's like a fresh one and she she excretes it <laughs> so it's not, it's not a leotard it's it's yeah. actually millions of leotards yeah exactly <laughs> and she excretes it from her skin it falls I don't, again, again, when there was going to be a reveal, the cliffhanger, I never, yeah. I never said, "Oh, I bet she's got a, a disappearing leotard that appears whenever she takes her clothes." Like, well, you're also kind of bearing lead because she also reveals that she is like a human torch. Well, that comes after. <laughs> it's like a page, building up to it, like a page and a half later. <laughs> well, I can't get past the disappearing <laughs> leotard she can't take off. Like, what a weird idea! Yeah, it's a. It is very handy though for superheroes because that's always a question: is do you have to wear? Does Spider Man always wear his spider suit under his clothes all the time? Well, Sue Storm does. She just makes it invisible. She just makes her clothes invisible. Yeah, that so makes, that's that makes covered. Sense. Yeah. 
But um, <clears throat> it's just, I mean, I just think the logic of John Byrne is so strange. Like, he clearly was like, oh, she's got to have a leotard. She can't. T-. It's like, who thought of that? Like, mm-hmm. why is that? I mean, yeah. because that could have been the reveal. Like, hey, Johnny, look, I actually burst into flames. Like, oh, wow, that's crazy. But, like, why does she have this the leotard she can't take off? It's just very strange to me. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, her dad was the inventor of the original Human Torch. And then yes. she accidentally gets turned into a Human Torch herself. And, uh, oh, and Herbie comes back. Yes. Well, so I have something to say about the Human Torch aspect of it, first of all. Uh, I read uh, John Byrne's run on the West Coast Avengers, uh, which he would do later on, and the first story in it is an elaborate, exhaustive uh, discussion, examination on whether the original Human Torch robot is actually the Vision, whether they're the same robot mm. repurposed or whether they ent- they are, like this was like the first story John Byrne had to get out of his system like yeah. finally have to lay this thing down it's not the same robot you know like he got very uh, so the fact that he brings the, the Human Torch's creator here into it like he clearly has some really soft spot for Professor Horton creator of the original uh, Human Torch he goes we're gonna get we're gonna end this debate once and for all <laughs> Also, this is another weird thing is that later on, so here we have a female human torch, and later on, the Fantastic Four would have a female version of the thing. Oh, uh, yeah. Infamously. So that's a weird thing that they've had two different female versions of their popular male characters. I guess they didn't do that with the other two because there are a couple already. If there's like an invisible yeah. man and a stretchy any, woman. Are there any invisible? I mean, obviously, there's the invisible man from the original H.G. Wells story, but are there any mm-hmm. male? Like the vision, can he turn invisible? I don't know if I think he. I'm not sure. I mean, I know his power is density, right? He can oh, control his true. density. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I don't know if he can be invisible. Nightcrawler can kind of hide in shadows. That's not. It's not true invisibility. No, he can't. He yeah. can't like walk into a bank and steal stuff with his sh- uh, shadow. He'd have he to be just, very careful. Just teleport. Why would he do that? Ah, uh, fair enough. Come on. Well, he has to know where he's teleporting. If he teleports inside the vault, he could merge with the... Anyway. Um, so, yeah, now there's two human torches, basically. Uh-huh. Like, uh, it reads like, ah, you can join in the Fantastic Five now. we got two two human torches. Why not? Very casual for Reed Richards, if you ask me. Yeah, and that's about it, really. Some of these stories are interesting because there's not even really, like, a conflict that happens. Like This is like a two-part... This one has, like, a two-part thing to it oh does it yeah because it has the second part oh it's got the herbie second part of the same issue so oh i see stories rather than one yeah so then we got herbie and the thing is uh oh and but again it's not like uh there's no villain in this story or anything it's just like basically like changes within the fan which i actually think is cool i like that yeah um, but this is where the thing... So Reed's like, all right, I'm going to really fix this once and for all. And instead, he turns him into the lumpy thing. Well, he sort of... Because uh, well, like when the thing first appeared, he was much more lumpy. And this is sort of mm-hmm. a throwback to the original um, you know, Fantastic Four number one uh, looking thing. Also, I want to mention that inking by Terry Austin, reuniting the great uh, John Byrne-Terry Austin team from the X-Men. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, how do you feel about Terry Austin's inking? Do you like him? I'm cool with it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. John Byrne 
stuff kind of i mean i guess it's pretty clean pretty clean line but yeah i don't know if i have super strong feel it looks good yeah it's got a good look to it nice rocks on the thing um do you have something you want to say about them uh no i was just uh, commenting on it. i do love the i do like the uh the lumpy skin thing i wish i wish uh that had um become more of a, a permanent thing permanent thing a permanent thing and then when the thing gets like spiky is that was that a oh. walt simonson thing or was that uh that was after i i'd already bailed on it by that point okay i mean i like that idea that you could like what's the next phase yeah. of this that seems yeah. cool to me but i do think that that was the motivation of uh Oh, this yeah, change totally. in the thing was like I'm not drawing those rocks anymore. It makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. And then it's kind of a subplot in these issues I read is that he's really not upset about becoming the lumpy thing. Well, he on some level he wants to be the he wants to remain the thing. So he's 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 glad in that sense. But I mean, I don't know. I didn't. I mean, I didn't get to the point where it gets kind of delved into. But okay. it's just a thing. I think Reed notices or Sue or something. Ah, oh, he doesn't really seem upset by being. I mean, I guess that would it matter if you were like hard orange? Yeah, I, I don't uh, picture him making a tremendous amount of difference. I feel like he's grosser looking as the lumpy thing. Uh, yeah. I I think that w- that's what. Um, it's interesting because if you read the original Fantastic Four comics, the uh, the thing is really like a jerk and you know, yeah, he's a much more like angry, not like a kind of like he, he gets kind of cuter as time goes on. Mm-hmm. Like he becomes a much more cuddly kind of both f- f- visually and personality wise, he becomes more like a teddy bear kind of kind of character. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe John Byrne was trying to restore that sense of him looking like a thing as opposed to fuzzy bear. A, 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 a right angle rocks fuzzy bear yeah but it's just an interesting it's a cool idea yeah and it's sort of acknowledging the history of the character i love that kind of gradual evolution and it's interesting too because i don't think it's really acknowledged in the stories when kirby's doing it he just sort of draws him slightly di- just the, the design evolves basically yeah i mean it's true for all the characters but I, yeah i don't think they ever address it I'm sure they were. I'm sure they probably didn't even notice at the time until they looked back and go, "Oh, look, that's weird. I didn't even notice that." You know, yeah. So well, one thing I love about the initial run of Marvel Comics is like nobody is thinking like you know I'll do this till it goes out of style and we'll yeah. discard it. You know, yeah. and so nobody's thinking ahead at all, and it's like really evident. Yeah. So then the next issue has one of the great reveals in the history of comics in the beginning. I would say. <laughs> Did you? So you weren't reading this at this time, right? You no, came no, these, on later. These issue, I, these I had gone back to read them after buying later issues. So yeah, I wish I was someone who'd been reading Fantastic. I mean, maybe there wasn't anyone who'd been reading Fantastic Four for twenty years at this point. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, I wish it's such a. I mean, it's one of those things where like maybe you shouldn't mess with it, you know, when you're taking someone else's. But anyway. Ben Grimm, the thing, is always referencing his Aunt Petunia. He's Aunt Petunia's favorite nephew. So then we finally see her. Yeah. She's a hottie. She's implausibly young and attractive. (laughs) Well, I think he says it was like his uncle's second wife or something. 
Yeah, no, it's a thing where she was like the nurse of an el- of an older guy who was yeah. hurt. <laughs> she, it's like a, again, it's like the giant woman. It's like a real fantasy, you know. Yeah. So anyway, and she needs help. And this was another story where I didn't really. It's uh, another strange underst- one. Yeah, I didn't really understand what they were even going for with this. But so they go to this town, and people are being frightened to death. There's a little girl and a big hole in the ground and the night sky opens up. And then we, we start an inhuman subplot that'll continue later. Mm-hmm. Um, but what even happens in this issue? I don't understand it. I don't quite. Uh, it, it's it's this girl is summoning um, like spirits. It's almost kind of like the other story. It feels like where the guy is kind of has superpowers and is like unconsciously using them to do stuff. And then it's also got the confused morality where like Frankie's like, Hey, this dad's beating his daughter. Like I'm going to, I'm going to handle this. This isn't cool. And Reed's like, no, we cannot intervene. And you're like, no, someone should intervene. If someone's beating their child, (laughs) like, wow. Well, Mr. Fantastic uses a robot nanny to, to, to uh, to discipline their child, so that's that's I think that's what he meant. Like, let the robot nanny handle it. <laughs> Joel's just uh, why doesn't he have his robot nanny take care of this? <laughs> He's very detached. But so, man, I was really hoping you could help me out. Like, I I felt really uh, puzzled by this. It's another just like strange sense of logic and morality where it's like mm-hmm. you can't just intervene with an abusive father, and it's got something to do with these weird monster shadow creatures i don't know so i was hoping you could help me out doesn't seem like it's uh sorry thanks for nothing so we just have a few left well so although i will say that this does speak to what i was saying before that john byrne is better as an interpreter of classic kirby lee things than coming up with his own spin on things you know what i mean uh in what sense like in the sense that this story doesn't feature any it doesn't harken back to Lee and Kirby. There's no Lee and Kirby characters in it, so it's it's a little. Oh, I see. Like the next issue is the Inhumans issue, and that's right. maybe that's maybe the best issue of this first right bunch. So. And again, it's a weird story because it it could it doesn't even have to be a Fantastic Four comic, really. Yeah. So yeah, the premise of it is that uh, the Inhumans contact the Fantastic Four because there's some plague uh, striking all the Inhumans. And Mr. Fantastic figures out that it's it's everywhere on Earth, and so the only way they're going to escape it is by going to a new place, go live on the moon. The blue area of the moon, where they first met the Watcher. So they uh, use crazy technology and uh, to elevate... Uh, this was, I think, a very big deal at the time, because, like... I always thought that the Inhumans always lived on the moon. So the fact that this happened, it must have been a big event in the Marvel Universe. You know what I mean? Well, and the humans are always moving back and forth, too. Like, Attilan, it's like they're on the moon, and then they, they're, like, in Tibet at the beginning of this. And then later, they go back to Tibet. They and do? And then they go back to the moon again. Yeah, the Attilan is just, you know, this is one of those things where this was a big a big event when it happened, and then it has it ends up happening every six issues. Uh and uh, it's interesting, too, because the, Inh- the Inhumans have never had an ongoing series, right? They've done Inhumans series before. They've done Inhumans, like, 
maxi series and mini series, but I don't think Inhumans has ever been an ongoing hmm. series. Not sure about that. And it seems like at this point, the Inhumans are like a staple of Marvel comics, but they always kind of. Well, they're like a supporting act. Yeah, but were they always in Fantastic Four or maybe tied to Avengers also? Well, they definitely started with the Fantastic Four. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, I know they eventually interacted with everybody, but, um, you know, they they were introduced as FF characters. Yeah, no, I've read those. Those are great. I think they're really limited by the fact that Black Bolt can't speak. Like, having your main guy be someone who can't speak is is a difficult thing to, 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 to... have in your group dynamic you know you're going to be getting some angry letters from people who can't speak <laughs> tell them to call me if, if they want to oh, discuss oh i don't know you i've never met you before sir but uh oh and this this opens with one of the great tropes which i think might even happen in a previous issue too where like it could just be like a two-panel opening of Quicksilver, like ringing the doorbell and "Hey, Quicksilver, what's going on?" But he has to like run really fast in and like fight all of the Fantastic Four before anyone's like, "Oh, it's just Quicksilver. Let's stop fighting." I think that happens in an earlier issue too. Mistaken identity. Yeah, but it's like yeah. if you just just you know just call ahead or you know. Just... Well, you have to work in a fight scene. I mean, you have to use their powers some way. You can't. Have, you so. can't just be Johnny and, and the thing fighting each other every time over the remote. Yeah, just get those guys going at it. <laughs> but it's a weird. It's always on, and it yeah. goes on for like seven pages or something. How do you too? feel about it's Quicksilver? Like, uh, I don't have strong feel. He's a funny one because he's like the DC equivalent of the Flash, and How he's so? like the fast. <laughs> and he's like the fastest guy in Marvel Comics, but he's not really that fast. Like the Flash is like so fast that he can like bend reality he's like implausibly it's like the rules of physics don't apply to him because he's so fast and then the quicksilver he's what like you go like 100 miles an hour yeah he's like as fast as a pretty good car i was just reading a i was just listening to i was watching a youtube channel about the uh jla avengers the ill-fated jla avengers with george perez oh yeah um the original one that they were going to do. And one of the mm-hmm. things is, you know, they originally were going to kind of break up the story where like Thor, you know, fought Superman and uh flash raced Quicksilver. And yeah. Batman fought Captain America. And one of the things Jim shooter rejected it because he's like, there's no way a race between the flash and Quicksilver would not work because the flash can go interdimensionally and super fast and Quicksilver can only go. I love that. That was his nerdy reason why it couldn't happen. Is, is that, you know, no one, the, the most, Sought after comic possible <laughs> can't happen because of this. <laughs> like they couldn't, they couldn't come up with some excuse why the flash. Anyway, but go ahead. I know, give him some steroids or something, or like tie a tie a weight to the Flash's leg or something. You know, put some Harrison Burner <laughs> on that guy. Yeah, exactly. But it's uh, they did DC versus Marvel in the nineties or yeah, whatever, and it right. came up too. But yeah, it's just interesting that they've never really pushed Quicksilver's powers that much further. He's like pretty fast, you know. He's like as f- they've never done a story like during like where everyone where he could run. They must have done stories where he could run faster, like because of heightened know. mutant powers or you know. Something really not sure, but yeah. I know I, I I like characters that are like jerks though. Like I was going to say, I, thought, I always think of Quicksilver as a jerk. Yeah, so him he's and like Submariner, famously a jerk. 
Yep. And they both have those pointy eyebrows, too. Yeah. I don't know if there's a connection there. I don't know. Weirdly, North Star from Alpha Flight, also jerk, also has the pointy eyebrows. So I think that's, oh. that must be a... Uh, maybe it's those eyebrows that give everyone that look. They always look like they're kind of like sneering at you. Yeah, I don't know. But so, and it's weird. Then they get to the Inhuman City, and it seems like a bunch of stuff happened in between uh, Quicksilver getting. And it's always Maximus. Like, it's always Maximus every time. This was very controversial in its time because people are like, wait a minute, Maximus just dies off stage? Like, that's mm-hmm. like it's nothing again, killing off another character. So mm-hmm. uh, I don't know what it, it almost feels like this should have happened in a story like like the ego thing where they're recounting something that happened in an other previously existing story. But it, that is not the case. And I am, I'm sure they brought Maximus back at some point, but I don't know yeah. how I don't know what, what why this was included in here. Well, it's weird. No, I mean, it's basically like they could have this could have been a two part issue and this would have been the whole first part. But instead, yeah. it's like a six panel. I kind of did assume like, oh, it must have been an issue of uh, right. you know Marvel two in one or something that there. But no. Yeah. And it's like uh, it seems like all the major events happen before uh, before they get there. So then they go there. Lockjaw. Big Lockjaw fan. Love Lockjaw. I love the Inhumans in general. I think that the Inhumans are great characters. They're cool designs. and No, I think the Inhumans are awesome. They do a weird bit where, um, yeah, Karnak. I like all these characters. They do a weird bit where Black Bolt speaks, which Mm -hmm. that's another thing. He can't speak, and then like every third appearance of Black Bolt, he says something, right? Um, Yeah. Well, he can speak, but it's just very, very uh, loud. That's his superpower. He breaks the um, the base of Attilan yeah. with his voice, and then it's like, oh, we were not going to sully this with a sound effect because it's so. And then there's like a big sound effect, a couple pages. Yeah, when when Attilan lands on the moon, it's like shoom in huge yeah. letters. I thought that was a cheap trick, but uh, but that's basically it. They well, also <laughs> during that when they, I don't know if you, I'm sure you caught it when they. When the it lands on the moon and it, he specifically shows it crushing the spot where Jean Grey uh, died. <laughs> so, yeah, is that because he's mad at Chris Claremont? Uh, I don't think he was, I don't think he was mad. Um, I mean, I don't think he liked Chris Claremont at this point, but I don't think he. I don't think it was in relation to. I think it was just. It feels more just like a kind of like dig at the X Men, like him. Uh, yeah, kind of like as a way of of. Uh, like a shot at the X-Men. Yeah, because it's like it could just be connecting events. Like, oh, right. hey, there's that spot right there. But it's like specifically like destroys that spot. Yeah, totally, so, yeah. yeah. So I don't uh, know. But I do like I also do love the fact that John Byrne is a super fan. Like he's always mm-hmm. digging into the past, including little details, including like cameos from characters who would be appropriate and stuff like that. So if you're a Marvel Comics fan, it's really fun because he really does uh you know, include a lot of uh, hardcore fan stuff. Yeah, it's interesting, though, because that's sort of the weird legacy of Marvel, is it was kind of like, kind of uh, just generated by like three guys who were just free, st- uh, three guys who'd been in comics for a while, just kind of hit this weird stride, Yeah, made all this stuff in a short period, and then people who like it, like keep kind of revisiting it and reinterpreting it in these yeah. ways. So, I mean... 
that's kind of the legacy of this run, though, right? It's like this is one of the great reinterpretations of the Fantastic Four stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say that's accurate. That. But what makes this stand out, I guess, is my question. Why is this better than, like, what uh, George Perez did or something? Um, I, I mean, for me personally, the fact that I was the great age to be reading it, that's mm-hmm. what I'm going to say. That's I'm not going to just, you know deny that that's a big factor and i think also just having one person working on it for a lengthy time i think that adds to the the you know it's a nice little uh tie-in why, why a run is different because i i don't no one had done a run that long you know certainly writing and drawing it a lo- in a long time and i think that mm. that's sort of where you can kind of do more long-term planning and and plan bigger arcs and things like that and um but it seems like in the whole run of Fantastic Four, it's like Stan and Jack is, you know, the definitive run. And then this. And then, like, Mark Wade and Mike Waringo do a run that's sort of like a cult classic. I know, you know? Walter, Walter um, Simons did one that apparently is popular. Is it popular? I see it referred to when people mention good runs, so. Yeah. I mean, there's also. And then Jonathan Hickman did a run uh-huh. fairly recent, you know, not too long ago yeah. that's sort of. Um, I've never read any of them. I've never read any other run of the Fantastic Four besides John Burns. You haven't read Stan and Jack's run? Oh, no, no. Well, yeah, I guess that one too, but no, nothing after yeah. John Burns. So It's interesting to me, though, these characters where there's not. You know, one of the things about Batman is like if someone's like, oh, I'm interested in Batman, you can just be like, here, just read this one thing. Yeah. Uh, and for Batman, there's like 20 of those. I mean, there's some really obvious classics, but there's a whole lot of kind of self-contained Batman, you know, a graphic novel or a trade paperback yeah. you can hand someone and they can just read it cold and go, oh, I like Batman. That's really cool. And uh, there's not a few characters, you know, Daredevil, there's uh, Born Again, or there's a few things like that. But uh, like Spider-Man doesn't have one of those, which is so weird to me. And I don't know if Fantastic Four does either. It's really just like, oh, the first hundred issues are really, really good. And then it kind of always is trying to... I feel like Batman is unique in that case because Batman A is a very popular character and there's been a lot of people who have specifically created like a a graphic novel's worth of a six-issue series or something like that. Whereas I feel like, like Superman doesn't... I feel like most characters don't have that where they have like 10 like books that are i think like batman is unique i mean the other ones are much more continuity you know like you said the first hundred issues of spider-man the first hundred issues of fantastic four i feel like batman for whatever reason lends himself more to short you know stories like that well there's like less to know about batman too it's like his parents were killed and the game obsessed with it yeah alfred the Batcave, occasionally robin you get the gist of it you know Um, yeah so it's just uh, interesting to me. I don't know. Yeah. I just always feel like that should be the goal is to create, especially now that like trades are the, the kind of thing, like people would be more trying to go like, Oh, let's do kind of a succinct, like all-star Superman is a good example where it's like this yeah. kind of distills the character into one book worth of stuff and yeah. anyone can just pick it up. Um, I don't know. Currently I'm, I'm kind of feel more in the, uh, I feel like comics, it would be a shame if Marvel Comics lost this beautiful, like, unique thing of the of a, of a comic book continuity. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
like which once you start developing it into just kind of like self-contained books you lose that sort of building on on a thing stuff but i understand i mean i think they could do both really you know they certainly as a reader as a reader it's much better to be like oh here's a thing that's a self-contained thing that i don't need to know 15 years worth of uh continuity so i mean i think that's the conundrum of comic of you know yeah but anyway so yeah so then crystal and quicksilver's baby is a human because the inhuman and mutant qualities cancel each other i don't know is that baby still around is that baby still human i don't really know you know, I couldn't tell you. One thing I do remember is they did a story not long after this. I think it was John Byrne, where uh, there was a fight between um, the Inhumans and because the Inhumans have that mist that gives them their yeah, the powers. Yeah, the Terrigen mists. Yeah, and I guess uh, like at a certain point, a baby is exposed to the mists and. Um, there was some controversy about whether to expose her to the to the mm. mists, and you learned that Lockjaw, in fact, was a person. It was a uh-huh. baby was exposed to the mist and turned into Lockjaw. So you kind of take your chances as what kind of superpowers you get. Mm-hmm. And I was very disappointed to learn that that was then retconned out and that Lockjaw was never a person. So oh really? Uh, yeah. So he was, and then he wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, once someone later on said like, "Oh, that's a terrible thing," because that's turns Lockjaw from a beloved, fun character into this tragic, like, you know, monster. So, uh, uh, but yeah. So, I don't know what ever happened to, um, what was the baby's name? Uh, Who cares? Anyway, yeah. Um, I believe the baby's name is Normie. Who wants to become Cable or something. Norman. Normie. Mm. And so, then the last issue that we're going to cover is a really weird issue with a lot of problems. Oh, yeah? What are the problems? Well, I guess the problem is the deeply racist antagonist. <laughs> the, the uh, oh, the the Roman emperor guy. Well, he is a Roman yeah. centurion guy, so I know, but he just said some stuff that uh, made me feel weird. Mm-hmm. I guess I would say. So then, yeah, Nick Fury's like, "Hey, Fantastic Four, there's an energy signal. It's near Wakanda. Will you go in there and mess with it?" And they're like, "Sure." Mm-hmm. So then they go in. The thing dresses up like Indiana Jones, which is like, yeah. all right, that's fine. Sidebar, uh, John Byrne was, in fact, um, attached to become the writer-artist of Marvel's Further Adventures of Indiana Jones uh, series. Oh, then what happened? Uh, he found it too infuriating working with the uh, licensing people. Oh, like I he, do that. He, he would, you know, write out a story and show it to them, and they'd be like, "No, you can't have him do this. You can't have him do that. This should be redrawn." And then he was just like, "Forget it. This is this is not fun." So he's like, "Indiana Jones got this leotard on that won't co- when he's naked. <laughs> he's fighting he's the covered giant in a- woman." <laughs> <laughs> Indiana Jones and the giant woman. Amazons of Gigantia. Oh, and they pull the same trope, but they do it more succinctly, where uh, the thing's like fighting all the Wakandans, and then the Black yeah. Panther's like, no, nah, no, nah, they're cool. Yeah, that's always <laughs> a way like, to get a fight scene in, is guards you yeah. don't know, mistaken identity, some new character who's the only one who doesn't know the characters, etc., etc. And then this is a weird one where um, it's not really the Black Panther, and we don't know why, who like talks with them, and then it turns out Black Panther like goes with them incognito yeah. for no reason. Yeah. Like that's another like the logic of these is astounding. There's like all these reveals for no reason mm. in these. Would it make any difference if 
you Black Panther just went with them in the first place, and you just knew it was Black Panther the whole time? No, because then the people at home would know that it wasn't Black Panther, and the trouble would ensue. All right. Um... But yeah, so there's this tower. They go inside. It's like ancient Rome inside. Oh, they they all lose their powers. The thing is human again in there. Mm-hmm. This is another. This is almost like goes back to the one of the early stories where this is a guy who. This will become another burn trope: is a primitive person who encounters alien technology and uses it to become a supervillain. Is a is a story that will return a couple of times during his really run. yeah. So, yeah, this guy basically has the same power as the earlier guy, the man with the power, where basically anything he wishes becomes true. Like you said, the Fantastic Four. Is that right? Well, like it's you know, like he's using all these. He can strip the Fantastic Four of their powers just by waving his hand. and Okay. Like, uh, oh, yeah, so we see Frankie Ray hanging upside down. Uh-huh. Uh, and a woman hanging upside down is also another uh, John Byrne uh, trope. That seems to happen, I don't know, more more noteworthily to women in John Byrne's books than men. Well, and then the other thing that's weird is that Sue gets captured and then she's like naked in a bed and she's like, seems like something really, she's had some sort of really unpleasant experience, which is weird. Hmm. I I was kind of disturbed by that. I never interpreted that way. I wouldn't think that the gladiator guy was capable of any kind of uh, sexual function. Because he's a robot? Well, yeah, because later on when she takes his head off, he doesn't have any... He's just... It's just oh, that's true. an empty suit, so... It's just weird that she's naked. Like, right. I mean, I guess he just wanted to draw her naked, but it was just a weird... Um, yeah. So, yeah, and then he's trying to marry Sue. He's like, oh, finally I got some... A white woman in here. <laughs> and he wants to marry her. And then... Uh, she pulls his head off, and that's basically it, right? Yeah, the the suit is what gave him his powers, and once his head was removed, the Fantastic Four regained their powers, and everything collapses around him, which was all just being kept in place by his will. You know Will, right? <laughs> by his, his assistant, Will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that was kind of a weird... Um... Oh, another, a phrase that comes up in this run that I think is a Stanley phrase that I've never heard anywhere but Marvel Comics Excelsior? is <laughs> Excelsior is it says slowly inexorably <laughs> dot 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 and that's I don't even know do you know what what does inexorably mean slowly does it really I think it just means like incapable of going backwards let's see in a way that is impossible to stop or prevent is what inexorably means yeah there you go. I got that kind of yeah. All right. Slowly and in a way that is impossible to stop or prevent. That's what I would write Slowly, if I was gonna inexorably, <laughs> inexorably. Um, I like that too. That like some of the the phrases Stanley used kind of get recycled too. Yeah. So that's the first part of this. So we read what about a fifth of this run? Uh, yeah, it goes to about two ninety or so. So, uh, yeah, something like that. Do you feel like, because I didn't love, I honestly, this was kind of, I mean, I'm realizing I'm going to have to read like a lot of comic books <laughs> <laughs> as I do yeah. these podcasts, um, but some are quicker reads or more fun reads, yeah. you know? I mean, I think it always gets a little tainted by like having to take notes and think of things to say, but sure, you're not yeah. just reading it casually. 
but um, there's different qualities. And this was a little bit of a slog to me, I would say. I could see that. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it is very much an old school, everything is over-explained and kind of that kind of book. So They take a while to read. Like, they're not Yeah, there's a lot of reads. captions, a lot of thought balloons. Thought balloons, I feel like, have gone out of style. Like, we're, we're all trying Your to... captions have, too. They're all trying to make it be like movies, where there's as little narration and thought balloons as possible, which is weird because you'd think you'd want to take advantage of the strength of the medium, which is that thought balloons are something that movies and TV shows can't do easily. So Right, but also, at some point, someone realized we don't need a caption that's describing what's happening in the drawing. No, yeah, that's definitely true. That was always yeah. bad writing, but thought balloons are, you know, I think they can be used effectively. But I love thought balloons, yeah. yeah, but the captions that are sort of... It's true that you could take the captions out of a lot of these old comics and it wouldn't really yeah. affect your understanding very much. Yeah, I mean, I mean, frankly, I'd say maybe read half of the captions in comics. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just, <laughs> I just assume, unless I can't figure it out, I'm just going to be like, well, this is probably just a bunch of flowery prose telling me what's going on in the panel. But so, so do you feel like this run... I mean, one of the questions is whether or not we'll continue this run in a later episode. Like, if you want to just do a different run, or do you feel like it's it would be worth it to continue? Like that, this the weakest stuffs at the beginning, and it'd be rewarding to continue through. Or do you feel like if I didn't love these first issues, then it's it's not worth continuing? I mean, for me personally, I feel like it gets stronger as it goes um, to a point where it peaks, but. Um I, again, it's a very personal taste, so you'll have to be the one to decide. I'm always happy to talk about John Byrne's run on the Fantastic Four, so it's more, I guess, if you want to, uh, or if the listeners are, want to hear it. So Yeah, uh, write me a letter. I, you know, I'm not going to be like, oh, yeah, tell you it's, it's fantastic classic comics that you know, you're going to love and that will change your life because, you know, it's, it's something. I mean, I always meant to read this run, but also it has the thing, right, of that... Um, this is always like a like I never watched the TV series Lost because I know that none of those mysteries ever go anywhere, right? right? Yeah, like yeah. it's and every John Byrne run has that, right? Where it just kind of fizzles, like there's some editorial conflict at the end, and he just leaves in a huff. It, it is a <laughs> one of the uh, unfortunate things in that it does not kind of end on any kind of closure. It's just sort of in the middle of a of a story, and uh, yeah. And then I guess he did the same thing with Hulk too. Like he used to say, "I'm going to take over Hulk," and he did like three issues, and then just bailed in the middle of the whole thing. Or so. Yeah, and then and then you get Peter David's run, which is another run I yeah. would like to, and that's a full run I've read too. That's one of the great Marvel runs I would say is Peter David on Hulk. Yeah. Um, but so, I don't know. What are your? Are you able to like? recreate a little bit like the feeling you had when you read these or what or is it different reading these now or um well yeah i mean it's i you know i was 10 years old or whatever when i picked these up i should so i hope it's different now reading it uh, <laughs> but um yeah i guess for me it's just sort of you know it's probably just more of a nostalgia driven thing i just feel like they're solidly you know told entertaining old comics um but uh i really feel like that you had to be there kind of thing is true for a, i mean maybe particularly superhero comics which for the most part are aimed at younger you know like an adolescent or at least originally were aimed at an adolescent type audience so maybe that time and place meant a lot more than 
you know, reading it at something, you know, I don't think something like Mouse is the kind of thing where, oh, you, yeah, you really have to read it at a certain age for it to work. You got to be 12. To, yeah. If you weren't 12 when Mouse is coming out, then um, you just can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, and I think there are some there are some things that remain that, you know, like you said, kind of can uh, like the original run on the book or. But I feel like for the most part, most comics things are, especially when it comes to long running titles of ongoing characters i feel like that really makes it much more of like you have to be there kind of to really get the full impact of it yeah um, i mean do you have to read it from like a 12 year old because it's like these stories are pretty dumb to me <laughs> like a lot of I, I i can acknowledge like he's a really great illustrator you yeah. know and he's good mm-hmm. panel page flow and all that yeah. like he's really good at what he does but like the uh that thing of the sort of esoteric morality or the just the thinking behind it was so perplexing to me like <laughs> well don't forget they're pumping these things out at such an incredible mm-hmm. rate i mean you know you're in the cartooning game the fact that john Byrne was was doing like two books at the same time like yeah like the fact that they were even coherent at all was incredible let alone you know if they were at any good so uh so um i mean and also i think he was aware that he was writing like he even said it was like juvenile fiction like he, mm-hmm. he's saying this is not written to compete with Dostoevsky or like classic literature it's meant to compete with like you know stuff young people enjoy reading so if old people enjoy reading it too that's good but you know it's it's uh you know like Harry Potter or whatever or yeah I mean it yeah. It shouldn't compete with Dostoevsky, but yeah. maybe it should compete with like great sci-fi of that era, you know, like that. Right. And I think that Stan and Jack pulled that off sometimes where there was there was an inventiveness to it. Yeah. That isn't in like Frankie Ray having a swimsuit that won't come off and you compare that to like the negative zone, you oh, know, yeah. you're just no, like, it's, yeah. It's that's the weakness of John Byrne is that he well I mean not necessarily the weakness of John Byrne but it's the weakness of a lot of people that they aren't Jack Kirby like Jack Kirby was such a font of a fount of of ideas and like creation and stuff that it's uh, you know so it's more just that it's I guess it's that sense that it Byrne's an interpreter so it's never going to have that sense of the, the original being you know well I don't know if that's necessarily true because I would say uh, Miller and Mazzucchelli's Batman is better than Bob Kane's Batman, so I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking yeah. about. So. No, and I would say Miller and Mazzucchelli's Batman. Again, you could show it to anyone right now, and they go, "That was a great comic book." Yeah. You know, that's timeless. You don't have to be 12. It's actually better if you're not 12. You know, right? I think. Well, probably because those are aimed at it. They were aimed at an older audience. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So we'll end with kind of an ambivalent note, I suppose. So. It'll be like Doctor Doom coming back, you know. If we get letters, we'll bring it back. Yeah, so exactly. Otherwise, I'm sure I'll bother you to uh, do more episodes of this with me. I got some really cool guests lined up. I gotta say, these coming episodes, I got some surprising who agreed to do this. Uh, Can't wait. Not everyone was just someone I hang out with that I can yeah. twist their arm. Are they all doing what runs? What John Byrne comics are they doing? Well, yeah, this is the John Byrne runs is the, uh, yeah, I don't think there's any other John Byrne stuff coming up. There's some Jack Kirby coming up, oh, say that for sure. Yeah. Um, and again, I am using this to kind of uh, try to read some, particularly Kirby stuff I've always meant to read, some stuff I bought that's been on my shelf yeah. forever. So I'll ask you a few questions before we wrap up. Okay. 
Uh, one, I'll ask every guest this. What would be your dream run? If you could, no editorial interference whatsoever, you could do whatever you wanted, uh, and you don't even have to draw it if you don't want, but what would your your dream run be? Oh, boy. Um, I hate to say it because, um, well, you know, I do a Star Wars podcast, and we spend a lot mm-hmm. of time talking about Star Wars ideas and Star Wars stories. I almost feel like doing a Star Wars one would be my personal choice. I yeah. have more Star Wars stories. Like, I sometimes think about that. I was like, well, maybe I can. Here's also the problem is I'm so out of touch with what's going with what is going on that every time I come up with a story, I'll tell uh, one of my comic book reading friends and they'll be like, oh, yeah, they did that like 15 years ago. Well, don't worry about that. But you uh, but so you'd write and draw a star. Would it be Luke and Leia and all that? Oh, yeah, or what I would, would it do be? classic. I would basically fill in between like Star Wars and Empire or something like that. Them just having crazy adventures and stuff like that. Together. Well, you know, they did that like five years ago. Oh. But um, <laughs> wah, wah. I mean, I think Stop, they the did. only thing stopping me was that. So, but oh, well. Right. Yeah. Otherwise, well, Marvel Comics owns it. So, right. Yeah. It seems strange to me that the, given that you're a comics guy and you have this audience yeah. for Star Wars people that they, you know, but Marvel Comics isn't always known for jumping on an opportunity. <laughs> um, so that's your answer, though, would be Star Wars? Well, whenever I've tried to think about, like, oh, maybe I should try to think of a Fantastic Four story, and, mm-hmm. like, I can never think of anything that I'm, like, dying to tell about. Like, I much more enjoy reading them than I do inventing them myself. So, uh, mm-hmm. um, Or what about an ideal run if you could assign a writer and an artist to an ongoing title? Hmm. You mean, like, an existing comics artist and say, yeah. mm-hmm. not like, oh, yeah, I want... Like, like Mobius doing Fantastic Four or something like that. Okay. Um, you know, I'm so out of touch with uh, who, you mean dream people? Like, oh, I want to see Jack Kirby do a uh, Perfect Strangers comic like that. Uh, the, the TV series Perfect <laughs> Strangers? Yeah, totally. Or, or like a currently exi- alive person that uh, theoretically. I said about. Mobius on Fantastic Four. I think is a good example. They can be dead. Okay. But um, you know, not a not a Miller Boyette sitcom, but uh, maybe a Marvel or DC series okay. by your, your dream team, and they could be living or dead. Leonardo da Vinci on Nova the Human Rocket. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll go in that case. Um, I will assign uh, uh, Alan Moore and Michael Golden. Mm. Mm. To I know you said you're not a Golden fan, right? I thanks for outing me, oh, but sorry, yeah, I don't. Sorry, he's he's one of those guys I don't really get yeah, it. Just yeah. never, just, it's fine. Uh, I, I wasn't 12 when I saw him. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would have them work on a. Um, sorry, what would I want to see? Because obviously, it's almost more like what what does Alan Moore want to do more so than. Or, uh, yeah, no, it's just, just what do you want? Like, what, what would you want to read? Like, if any Marvel or it could, you know, yeah. any existing property, what would make you go to the comic store every month and read it? You'd look forward to it. Uh, I will say Alan Moore and Michael Golden working on a Micronauts reboot. Oh, that's that's close to Star Wars. <laughs> they, uh, well, you know, they just announced that. So. Did they really? No way. No, you're like that guy with the power. Yeah, you made it. Your deadbeat son cut his hair, and (laughs) yeah. Um, Well, cool. And so, uh, and what are you working on? 
Uh, well, we just start over on uh, my Star Wars Minute podcast. We just started our coverage of Solo, a Star Wars story. And so uh, we do uh, every episode, every episode, five days a week. Uh, you can get it wherever you find podcasts or on uh, on the YouTube. We're, we're YouTuber influencers. All right, Star Wars Minute. Do you have any other uh, anything you want to link to or plug or anything? Uh, no. Well, maybe maybe my website comic uh, uh, alexrobinson.fun. That's my website. All right, and I I would I would plug um, our expanding universe. I think that's a really oh, uh, underrated. I read that book when it came out. I think that's a real. That is my favorite of my books. Yeah, I think I'd have to reread it, but uh, that might be my favorite. I would like to reread that now, actually, too, because I'm very much in the phase of life that's described in that book. Got but it. I did think it was really admirable how the the narratives were kind of moving through to- these different phases of life. Like, yeah, uh, definitely. that's like Buddy Bradley comics, you know, yeah. like they're older and they have, it's like, I really want older Buddy Bradley comics. Like I, I, I've talked to Peter Bag and I said, you know, why aren't, and he's like, nobody wants to read these. I'm like, why aren't we all aging along with the character and wanting to keep reading the character? Like that makes sense to me. I'm still reading comics and there's millions of people like me. <laughs> that's the problem is I feel like comics tends to skew younger both in when you read them as a reader and when you make them as a creator so it uh, i mean obviously there's exceptions um but i don't know but i feel like like the people who read comics are younger and the people who make them are younger so older people making comics doesn't appeal to younger people and so they make they don't you know what i mean like how are the how are love and rockets guys doing they're still they're still doing comics right they're doing they seem like they're doing fine yeah and their characters keep aging yeah that to me is a crazy uh that i'm like i've read love and rockets um i read bits of it but the fact that he is still working on one character for this long is such an amazing thing and that's such a unique thing that comics can do because Mm -hmm. like actors very rarely you know a creative team very rarely works together that long in like movies or TV or, or anything like that. So I think that's really awesome that it tells one long complete life. So, well, maybe we'll uh, do some love and rockets later. We'll yeah. see. And with that, we'll bring this episode of the runs to a close. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about me and my work, my website is ohyesverynice.com. That's O H Y E S V E R Y N I C E. Also, I'm working on a comics biography of Muhammad Ali. You can learn more about this project at patreon.com slash ohyesverynice, where you can subscribe to both digital and print editions. I can also be contacted at ohyesverynice at gmail.com. You can send me episode suggestions for the runs. And if you send me an email saying you heard about it on this podcast, I will send you a free digital copy of one of the chapters of the Ali comic. Home base for this podcast is theruns.blogspot.com, but it can also be downloaded or streamed on all platforms where podcasts are available. All the best ones. Please rate and review the show and share this podcast on social media and more importantly, in person. Thanks so much and see you next time on The Runs.